You are listening to The Call Your Grandma Show, a podcast where we reach out to our grandma, our nana, our abuela, our oma. We call her different names, but she sure loves to talk. We gather and share laughs and stories across generations. It might even inspire you to call your loved ones too. Stay safe and stay tuned. Hi, I'm Chris Chang and Phillips. I'll be your host for the next half hour of all things seniors and grandmas and nannies and poppies. I'm recording on my porch today because, uh, well, for about a hundred reasons, I think you could probably guess someone would be recording on their porch in June 2020. We've got two stories for you today. A call with my grandma on my mom's side about her first job in Canada when she moved here from Guyana. And first up, a story about why it matters so much to reach out to seniors right now. Caitlin Carbonic is a producer you might know from our podcast, That's Food. Caitlin talked to her colleague, Jonathan Lai, a fellow master's student at the University of Alberta, about the importance of social relationships for seniors, and also about how diverse seniors actually are as a group. Hi, my name is Jonathan Lai. I'm a graduate student in the Department of Human Ecology at the University of Alberta. My thesis research has to do with ageism in the workplace and its effects on worker engagement. Interpersonal relationships are important across the lifespan, particularly in later life, uh, given the level of relationships people can have at that point. You know, they may have gotten married, they've had friendships of lasted decades, you know, they've been a part of different community um, groups and that. Social inclusion, social connectedness are really important determinants of overall health and well-being for individuals at any age but you know particularly in later life there may be fewer opportunities to maybe grow networks and that you're thinking more so about you know maintaining the networks you have or nurturing the ones that are you know cherished. So how do the relationships a person has change as they age? Uh, Aging can be thought of in three dimensions as the biological, the social, and the psychological. So when you think about relationships in aging, you know, there's always life events or things that can shift relationships when you think about maybe moving from friendships to intimate relationships or, you know, starting families and looking at that intergenerational connection. It's really occurring over time and, you know, the the kinds of obligations and sense of uh, connectivity can change. One term I want to bring up is this idea of kinship. And there's a couple different categories around that discretionary and fictive. So discretionary, you can think of those as more familial ties, right? You know, the the relationships we have with our parents or grandparents or as well as spouses. And we think of these kinds of relationships, there's certain um, duties or obligations we put in. But fictive kinships are more of those broader negotiated relationships. So when you think about friendships or communal engagements, these kinds of things, it's uh, it's something that has to be kind of, you know, nurtured over time and it, it requires kind of, you know, that, that like reciprocity. So for So for older adults, there's kind of like an opportunity to have 
these different kinds of kinships or kinship relationships that might have dimensions that younger people just don't have access to because they don't have access to the, the same amount of time. Yeah, in part, you also think about, you know, the, the status of older persons when we think maybe they're doing more of those kind of leadership roles or figurative roles, right? They can certainly shape the relationships of groups. And then, you know, over time where younger persons may, you know, have uh, more time to be establishing new connections in this, like in later life, um, it's often important to maintain the uh, quality relationships that a person has. Okay, and so what are the challenges that older adults face in maintaining these healthy and important roles and relationships? Yeah, I guess I wanted to bring up a couple of concepts here around social isolation and loneliness. So Social isolation, you can look at this in like an objective sense of, you know, where are people like having social interactions with people and you could kind of log this, right? You know, you go to the store, you go to the cafe or, you know, you go to church and these kinds of things and you can kind of do a, a quantifiable level of um, interactions. Loneliness, this is a bit more of a subjective measure where you, you think uh, about, you know, the meaningfulness of relationships, you know, are you connecting with people like on an emotional level? What barriers might exist to social isolation can be things like physical, right? When we think about mobility, there can be challenges meeting people in public places. Uh, or as well, you know, when we think about kind of leisure or connecting with people, there's sometimes uh, a monetary cost, right? And people who are on fixed incomes or that um, may be reluctant to, to kind of, you know, spend on these kinds of activities and that. And as well, I, I think there's also just, um, just, you know, sometimes there can be feeling like a lack of inclusion. So, you know, thinking... Older adults are not this homogenous group that all have the same beliefs and interests, right? We you know when you factor in other um, dimensions such as ethnicity, sex, gender, uh, sexuality, you know, meeting in public place and that might not always be the most inclusive places um, for older adults. The, the pandemic has certainly been challenging for older adults in many ways. When we're looking at the kind of you know, traditional or, or like very visible sense of, you know, what is, you know, community involvement or inclusion? It's, you know, kind of group activities, whether that's religious or sports, you know, recreation, this coming together. And certainly with the, the pandemic, I mean, it, it's really in order to uh, flatten the curve and reduce the impact of the virus, you know, it's forced us to become more distant. We have to be physically distant and that. And so it really exacerbates um, a lot of the issues that we have with, with respect to social isolation and loneliness. Now, the majority of older adults are not lonely and not socially isolated. But, you know, there is that vulnerable sector that, you know, persons living alone suddenly are now more withdrawn from the communities, you know, and involvement because you hear about like, the contagion and that, you know, older people with comorbidities are at risk, right? You know, if you're thinking about if you already have breathing problems or that, um, getting on, say, public transit is 
a greater risk, you know, going to the grocery store, you know, has greater risks. So in, in many ways, the pandemic has really increased the barriers to the social connectedness people can have. And, you know, this always being at home certainly can make the loneliness situation worse. And what happens to a person when they're lonely? Uh, and, and loneliness is, is interesting in a sense because, you know, persons of any age, any age can experience loneliness. You could think of it as an episodic thing, right? You know, your friends are away or, you know, you can feel homesick, these kinds of things. But really chronic loneliness and feeling that you can't make meaningful social connections really has serious health consequences for people. People who are chronically lonely, you know, they face more depression, lower mental health. You can look at other health factors such as increased blood pressure, cardiovascular issues. And as well, in, in later life, thinking 70 years and older, you know, this can really lead to increased cognitive decline and has implications for dementia. So when you think about older adults who are living alone and are, are, are socially uh, isolated and lonely, there, there are very, it manifests in both poor mental health and physical health. So how can we address this now and maybe later when this pandemic is yeah. a little less? Yeah, because the issue of social isolation and loneliness among older adults is not a new issue. It's certainly been recognized by the World Health Organization as well as provincial governments, city of Edmonton have, have realized, you know, or as a greater proportion of the population becomes older, you know, the incidence rate of loneliness seems to be increasing. And so at the time of the pandemic, when there's been such a rush to the immediate health concerns in that, we do have to keep this in mind, you know, especially in the context of, you know, the second wave of the virus. There's the concerns about the loss of financial well-being and, it, and just that a lot of these restrictions, we don't seem to be near the end of this. There's often a lot of uncertainty of, you know, when can this end and that. And when we think about community building and these kinds of things, you know, when will, be, will we be able to get together as groups in that? I often think about even families like grandparents in that, you know, being separated from grandchildren or their children. So I think in order to ad address this, I, I think we do need to think of the continued conversations and finding ways to engage people with where they're at. I, I know a lot of our traditional places of gathering are not accessible right now. We, we are facing challenging times in the sense of community building. How, if I may ask, how have you been connecting with the seniors in your own life now? Oh, uh, I myself am I'm fairly introverted, but I have been getting involved in senior issues through the Connecting Edmonton Seniors um, Stewardship Group. It's given me kind of a view of what services across the Edmonton area are doing to address seniors' uh, well-being, mental health, and isolation. So I've been involved with that group, as well as Age-Friendly Edmonton Ageism's Hub. So when looking at, you know, this, this current pandemic, one of the issues is around just the beliefs of older adults and what, and what they need sort of thing. And really that they may be needing 
uh, different design supports compared to say younger persons or middle-aged people in terms of this because it, it certainly also brings up the other side too it's like if you look at older adults but also you know pieces around race and ethnicity and how this is you know affected people of asian communities differently uh, again like if you're looking at not just you know older persons as a homogenous group but also then looking at you know older communities in like different areas of the of community if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah yeah, the the issue of diversity has come up a couple times, and I hadn't considered it like that before. That's mm-hmm. really interesting. Um, the idea of a phone call are are is phoning the seniors in your life and talking to them is that important? I guess what uh, what's really interesting with the connectivity with seniors is that since it's twenty twenty now, there is more. Um, awareness and kind of getting on board with using some of these technology. I'm thinking as we're doing like a, a Zoom call right now, right? I think telephone for old generations is still like very prevalent. You know, it's something they've used more of, but uh, you're starting to see more so that at, at home technology setup where people are becoming more, you know, even from like 10 years ago, we're seeing more high-speed internet, more wireless connection than that. So it is becoming more commonplace. And I think in 10 years from now, like the seniors of tomorrow, you know, will have just that much more kind of familiarity with uh, this, these virtual telecommunications that we're using so much more now. So, so a phone call is good, but if you can get a yeah. video chat, even better? I would say... When you're thinking of connecting with seniors, think about what's most comfortable for them. I mean, uh, go at, like we think that having voice and video helps like overcome some of the physical distancing. But I, I would certainly say, you know, meet people where they're at and find what their preferences are. That was Caitlin Carbonic speaking with Jonathan Lai from the Department of Human Ecology at the University of Alberta. He shared some insights into how seniors may be experiencing these socially distant times and how we might want to approach connecting with them. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips, and this is Call Your Grandma from CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton. Next up, a call with my grandma. Well, my other grandma, not the one that I talked to last episode. My mom's family moved to Edmonton from Guyana in 1976, and her mom, that's my grandma, Frances Small, had a pretty neat first job when she moved here, or I think so. She lives in Edmonton, but, you know, I'm trying to do the physical distancing thing, so I called her up at her apartment to ask about it. Oh, hi. Hi, Grandma. (coughs) Oh, hi, Christopher. So, uh, Grandma, you told me that the first place you worked when you moved from Guyana to Edmonton was the Great West Garment Factory, Jeans Factory. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. yeah. That was the old one on 97th Street? I believe so, yes. Somewhere downtown. Hmm. Yeah, I had to take the bus to get there every night. How, yeah. did, how did you first get started working there? I, I um, looked through the paper... I just was looking for something to do um, in the evening or the night time because I had the kids to take care of during the day. So I was looking for something at that time 
after they were home <coughs> from their school. So, yeah, I just browsed through the newspaper and, um, yeah, and picked that up. So that was the um, only thing I think for women that you can do in the nighttime. <laughs> yeah, so that was convenient for me at that time, and I. That's how come I met a few other ladies, which I, you know, I still keep in touch with them to this day. Some of the ladies that used to work there, hmm. they were just like me. They had kids at home and. That was the convenient thing for them to make a few bucks. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Were there a lot of other women from Guyana who worked there? Yeah, there are quite a few from my home country, yeah. I was surprised to see them there, but, yeah. Uh, Irene, your, your friend Irene, is that how you two met? Can, yeah. She was, um, yeah, mm. it just. She was better at it than me, but it it was just like a hobby before. It wasn't the regular job that we did from before. You just did it as a hobby at home. <laughs> yeah. But it you just had mm. the um you know, the ability to do it on our own. Yeah, we didn't have to go to school to learn to do sew jeans or put on a pocket or because you were working for the civil service in Guyana, is that right? Yes, I worked with the government of Guyana for 18 years before I came to Canada. But, um, in the lands and mines, um, yeah, in the mapping department, and I was doing drawings and various other duties around the, um, the um, surveying department, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, whatever they needed in there. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of work did they have you doing at the jeans factory here in Edmonton? Well, I was doing um, the back seam of the jeans, just the one part. <clears throat> and each person would do just one part of the jeans. You know, like either the side or put on a pocket or the front, you know, the front um, part or the back part, or, and it would go down the line like that. Mm. So at the end of the line, the jeans would be finished because each person doing a different part. Yeah, and that's how it went. Yeah, my my job was to do the back seam, and um, <clears throat> I didn't have to fold it. They had a an attachment to the machine that did the folding for me as I feed the cloth into the machine. It just mm. folded itself, and, yeah, it was easy that way. Just feed it in, and then it, this attachment folded it, and zoop, and it was done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I've just started using a sewing machine for the first time this year, and... Uh... I, I, I admire the skill it must take to get that right every time that, that seam up the butt because, man, I cannot yet sew straight. Oh, yeah, sort of hard that way. So when we were at Irene's, your friend Irene's grandson's wedding, um, another friend of yours, Trixie, was telling me that she she didn't really last long at the factory because 
she said she was getting paid by the piece and she was doing pockets and she was too slow but um were you paid by the piece as far as i remember um i was paid by the hour Hmm. so she was in a different maybe she had um was doing that at a different time period because I can't remember seeing her there. So, um, yeah, I think I was being paid by the hour because maybe the people were leaving the job because, (laughs) (laughs) you know, maybe they weren't able to do much of enough part, enough pieces Hmm. to make a decent wage. So they paid them uh, 2 50 an hour after that, I think. Yeah. Um, like I, I've only heard like historical stories about the Great West Garment Company jeans, but they were kind of cool, um, for a long time, right? Like I remember seeing a Wayne Gretzky commercial, um, where he was wearing his GWG jeans. Did you ever get to bring any home? Uh, not no, because um. My husband, he at the time, he never wore jeans, and I just saw they were growing up jeans, like <clears throat> growing up. Um, I didn't see any kids' jeans there, and I'm not a jeans person myself, <laughs> so I never brought them home. So, wh- why did you end up quitting the factory? Um, I. Stopped working there because I had a condition in my throat, um, like a goiter. So I had to get surgery to remove it hmm. and my thyroid gland. So, um, yeah, after that, I never went back because I found it was sort of dust in there and my, the effect in my throat. So I just, I wasn't sure. So I just didn't go back to that job. I, you know, I after the children got a little bigger and so on, I just moved on to bigger things. Well, well, <laughs> yeah, different. <laughs> yeah, I did different jobs after that. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I got a job at the Kmart uh, after that, you know, doing retail in the store. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, and then after that, I move on to the the government job I had. Hmm. Would you ever be interested to go see what the that building looks like now? Because it's a farmer's market inside now. Farmer's market. Oh, Um, yeah, I, I think I would. I would like to go back and see what it looks like now. Yeah, I never went back after that. Hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting that um, now it's a, a farmer's market. I didn't even know it meant what. GWG, what's the name of Great what? Western? Great Western Great. Garment Company, yeah. <laughs> okay, I never even knew what it meant. Anyway, that's good to know. Great <laughs> Western Garment <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of people were wearing those jeans around, you know. Mm. I could see a lot of people were wearing up to now. People wear a lot of jeans, but um, yeah, it's not my kind of thing. You know, I find it's a bit um, hard on my skin. Mm. 
Hmm. Good old days. <laughs> yeah. Good to remember. Yeah. Good memories, you know. Yeah. Definitely do different things at different times. Yeah. So, yeah, I like remembering those days. They were, you know, very um, interesting days, I should say. Uh, you come to a new place and you just do new things and makes life more, um, you know, worth it. <laughs> and you could do different, new things, I should say. When you first moved to Canada, did it feel more like an adventure or more like sort of a chore? Yeah, it was an event adventure for me. <laughs> I like seeing the different places and, you know, it was a big, this is a bigger city than where I lived before. Mm. So I would take the bus and go to different places and explore the place, (laughs) you know, different malls. Hmm. Had you got a chance to travel outside of Guyana before you moved here? No, I didn't. I didn't really. That's mm. why yeah, it was so interesting here to me, because Guyana, we just live in a town. A town. Guyana is a big place, but most of the people live along the shore, and that's it for us, just along the shore. Mm. Beyond that, it was farmland and stuff that you didn't want to, you know, you didn't want to be there because people, it's just the farmers live outside of the city like <laughs> so um we were sort of um just limited in one town one place to live that's where the um all the businesses were in you know along the shore hmm. the main businesses were there you know in the government offices and stuff so um when i got out of there it was like Coming out of a, <laughs> just a limited place there. Hmm. Yeah. Um, do you mind if I ask you about something entirely different? Um, we were talking last week about the the Black Lives Matter protests and stuff. Um, do you uh, did you end up deciding to go? No, I didn't. I didn't even know it was when it was on or if it was on. Hmm. Yeah, you told me that it was supposed to be there, but <clears throat> I don't know. I saw it on the news, but um, yeah, I didn't go. Okay. Yeah. Number one, at my age, why would I be in a big crowd like that? You know, to me, it didn't make sense. Yeah. It? Yeah. How are you feeling about things this week? About things? The BL. Yeah, about the Black Lives yeah. Matter movement and, I don't know, about being black in Canada right now. Yeah, well, mm, well, I think it's um, it's just a shame that we have to be in this situation in 2020. <laughs> you think, you know, that people, things would be thing, But by myself, um, yeah, I've experienced some difficulties with that. But um, I don't let it, the thing is, I just move on. I don't let it bother me. As long as somebody doesn't choke me or anything, you know, I just move on with life. 
I don't worry about those things. Hmm. But um, yeah, I can't say that I had any big difficulties by my, you know, as long as you keep out of trouble and stuff. Yeah, it was okay. I didn't have any um, encounters, I would say, with the police myself. So I like that. I don't feel scarred, but my friend told my friends told me that they um you know the police would stop them for just nothing at all like yeah so I believe them. Hmm. Yeah. Wow! I the last time we talked about this, I was sort of like it, it, just interested to hear your experiences but not that worried about you but just now when you said like when you talked about being choked um I just teared up I don't think I've ever felt so worried for you before <laughs> oh you mean since the the movement and the just BLM, BLM? yeah just like this yeah. seemed like sort of an abstract conversation until just now you talked about like being glad that you hadn't been choked like oh man <laughs> grandma <laughs> oh no, I don't think it's anything to worry about me. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. All these years I've lived here for thir- almost 40 years, over 40 years. Yeah. And nothing like that happened to me. So, you know. So I don't, I don't think it's time to get worried about that <laughs> with me, you know? Okay. Just imagine, yeah. Oh. Been here for to something years. Never had any encounter. Yeah, I didn't have any bad encounters with the police, but I've heard my my male um, friends told me t- stories about them. So. <laughs> hmm. I love you, Grandma. Yeah. Okay. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Yeah, well, so don't worry about me. I'm good. I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, is there anything you need this week from us? No, uh, I think I'm good, Christopher. You're a good, good grandson. Yeah. <laughs> you always take care of me. Looking after me, asking me what I need. But I'm, yeah, I'll be good for, um, for a while yet. With regards to stuff, I have lots of food in the house. Don't worry about that. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Okay, and thanks again for that lovely plant you gave me. This lovely flowering plant. Yeah, <laughs> I'm enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. Okay. 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 Thank you, Christopher. Okay, we'll talk again soon. Okay, good. Thanks. Bye. Bye. That was my grandma, Frances Small. I reached her at her apartment in Edmonton. And that's it for this episode of Call Your Grandma. Stories today were by Caitlin Carbonic and me, Chris Chang and Phillips. Thanks also to Megan Miller for her help and Kezia Diaz for our intro. You can hear more of Caitlin's stories on our podcast, That's Food. They got a new episode out with their favorite quarantine food discoveries. You can find That's Food on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. Thanks for listening. And hey, don't forget to call your grandma.